All right, so we are in part two of our Moses series, our Moses series. And I love talking about Moses because <clears throat> we're just taking a leisurely stroll through the life of Moses. It's, we're going to kind of look at some different things, and we're going to do that for a total of five weeks. Now, for those of you that are real good with your Bible knowledge, you go three books of the Bible, five weeks. It's not going to work where we're going to hit every single story, okay? So we're not going to hit every story in Moses' life, although I would love to, but that's an entire year's worth of messages and Bible studies and sermons. Uh, but we're going to start, and we're going to hit some of the wave tops of his life, uh, and in particular, we're going to look at some of the ways that Moses built his life, or more accurately, God built Moses' life. He was a man who tried to follow God to the best of his ability. I'm sure that you can relate. In truth, many of us are those people that we want to follow God. We have an idea, and we, we want to follow Him, and we're doing the best things we can, and we're, doing the, we're working as hard as we can to do that. Um, but I also know about you that you want to get it right. <clears throat> Not only do you want to just follow Him, but you want to get it right. You want to get those moments when you know you should say something different or behave differently, or maybe you want to get some behavior modification down, you, you want to get that right. And I know you do, because I know and I've had those conversations with you. Moses experiences this also. <clears throat> but as we get started today, um, let me ask a question that I think I already know the answer to, but I figured I would just throw it out there. Um, show of hands, how many people have ever waited on God? Anybody? Has anybody waited on God? And if you don't raise your hand, you're a liar. That's okay. <clears throat> we love you anyway. This is a great, this is a good spot for sinners too. So <clears throat> that, we, that we've all been in that spot where we've waited on God, right? We, we've all been in that space where we are just absolutely waiting on God. Maybe you've been praying about a particular situation for a long period of time, and you're like, God, are, are you even listening to me? And, and you sit back and you go, is he even paying attention? And sometimes he feels like the guy in the next room that's watching the football game, and he's not actually even paying attention to the prayers that you have. He's just kind of not even really aware of what you got going on. Like maybe he hears you, but he's not acting at all. Maybe it's um, you feel like he's out of the situation altogether. You know, you got that medical report back that was not good at all, and you're waiting, and you're like, God, I need an answer right now. I need you to take care of this right now. And he's silent. Have you ever had that? Uh, the, or maybe it's that you've been waiting on the promotion at work. You're the obvious choice. You know it. Everybody else knows it. There's no doubt in your mind. But yet somebody else gets the promotion over you, and you're sitting back waiting, and you know you need the money from the promotion, right? God knows you need the money from the promotion, right? But here you are, and somebody else got it, and you're like, God, are you even paying attention? Are you even listening to me? Can, can you even hear my prayers? Has anybody ever been there? Maybe you're waiting on that acceptance letter from college, and you've got all the grades. I mean, they are there, it's pristine, and you're just waiting, but you still haven't been accepted yet, and you've been praying about it, and you've been praying about it, and you've been praying about it, but yet nothing has happened. And when you get in your little prayer closet, because I know you all have one, when you get in your prayer time with God, you sit back and you go, God, where are you? And it's silence on the other end of the line. Maybe you're asking the questions, is this relationship good for me? Is this relationship not good for me? Should I stay? Should I go? What's the right answer here? Should I keep the business open, Lord? I don't know if that's where I need to be. 
can you give me a sign that I need to either close it or maybe some leadership changes need to be made or management changes or game plan change? God, it's just not working, and I've been praying and praying and praying, and yet you haven't said a word. Have you ever been there before? Where it feels like your prayers are a tennis ball bouncing against the wall. They just keep coming back exactly the way that you sent them. And you just feel like you're just wasting your time. If you have experienced that, you are not the only one. You're in what I call a waiting chapter of your life. God hears those prayers. He absolutely does. But there are times, and I need to teach you this, <clears throat> there are times at which God will put us in a waiting chapter of our life to teach us and guide us and direct us in a specific way. And sometimes it's not always easy. Sometimes it's not always enjoyable. But we sit back and we go, God, I want you to answer it right now. And oftentimes what we hear is, not yet. I have a different plan. And lucky for us, Moses experiences this as well. We see Moses and we hear Moses, we think guy with the glowing face, he got the Ten Commandments, God, he meets with God one-on-one. -on -one. But how many of you know that that's not how Moses started? He didn't just start in that place. Moses started very similar to how we started. Last week, Rich, one of our elders, came in and covered the early life of Moses and how the Hebrews got into slavery in the Egyptian hands. And he also covered some of the important factors that got Moses, how God was preparing Moses before Moses ever knew what was happening. We saw some of that last week. And so we're going to pick up right there this week before we get to Moses' waiting chapter. So if you have your Bibles... We're going to do Exodus chapter 2, starting in verse 11. It says, One day after Moses had grown up, he went out where his people were and watched them at their hard labor, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. You guys remember this from last week. Continuing the story this week, it says, Looking this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. The next day he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? Why are you doing that? Why are you beating him? And then the man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? And then Moses recognized what he had done. It says, Moses was afraid and thought what I did must have become known. See, Moses recognizes right then he's in deep, deep trouble. Because although he is an Egyptian, by adoption, he is not the actual son or of the Pharaoh's daughter. We know that from last week. He's not actually from royal blood. He's adopted. He doesn't look exactly like the Egyptians. He looks like a Hebrew. How else would he know that those are my people and I'm going to go to my people and watch them work? He knew that there was something a little different about him. And so he knows right away, I've killed an Egyptian and I, I am going to be in so much trouble. And what they did in those times was they killed you back. And then Pharaoh heard of this. He tried to kill Moses. He's going to kill him back. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian, where he sat down by a well. Now Moses is doing the thing that many of us have done before. Our actions, sometimes get us in trouble. Somebody say amen. Yeah, that's what I thought. 
And nobody's saying amen. And they're like, no, dude, I ain't the problem. Somebody else is the problem, right? They, they, they said this. They caused this. They created this. Now, you got to get the picture. Moses went from living in the palace to living by the well because of his own actions. Now, not, they weren't necessarily evil in his intention, right? I mean, the, the desire to protect his fellow Hebrew and to be a protector, that's not evil. In fact, all of us would agree that's actually very righteous. But what he did with it, that, however, may have been a problem. That's where the issue becomes. Now, if we pay attention, Moses' actions got him in here, not necessarily his desires. So, continuing the story, now a priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came to draw water and fill the troughs to water their father's flock. Some shepherds came along and drove them away. But Moses got up, remember, he's by the well, that's what we just read a second ago. But Moses got up and came to the rescue and watered their flock. Notice it's the same desire to protect. Notice it's the same internal characteristic of Moses. It's the play out that changed. It was the action that changed. He didn't go slaughtering shepherds. Did you notice that? He learned his lesson. He figured it out. He's like, I probably shouldn't do that. It's probably a bad decision. But he just ran them off in order to protect the ladies who were coming to water their flock. Notice that when he, did it, when he had that same action, the, the, the guy in Egypt was a murderer, right? But the guy in Midian was a hero because, because the way he handled it changed. The way he handled it changed. Same gift, same desire, same godly righteousness inside of him, but the way he applied it was different. Now, I love you all so much, and that's why I can't not tell you this. Some of us sitting in here do the same thing. Some of us sitting in here have a gift from God, and we're using it like the murderer in Egypt, not like the hero in Midian. Because the gift is the same, the desire is the same, and how many of you know that the enemy loves to take a gift that God gave and twist and contort it and just get it out of whack enough to where it all of a sudden becomes useless to the kingdom because we're not listening to the voice of God. Moses' desire to protect was given from God. That was true because he's going to then protect the nation of Israel and lead them out of captivity. Spoiler alert. Did anybody not know that? I didn't mean to ruin it if you haven't read that far in the book yet. But he, he, we know that that's going to happen. So the desire to protect, the desire to free is in Moses' very DNA from his heavenly father. But used the wrong way, he's a murderer. Used the right way, he's a hero. So how many of us are using the gifts and desires and things that God put in us, how many of us are using that for the wrong reasons instead of for the right? That one was free. That's not even the point of the message. So... Verse 18, when the girls returned to Ruel, their father, now pause, Ruel's just Jethro. You guys have heard of Jethro in this story before? Moses' Moses' father-in-law? This is, it's just the same thing. Basically, Ruel is another name for Jethro. And you go, well, that doesn't make any sense. Okay, neither does Bill and William, but here we are. It's just a different name, right? 
Doesn't make any sense, but this is just what they do. So, and, and, and Ruel asked them, why have you returned so early today? What, why have you guys returned so early? And they answered an Egyptian. So Moses didn't look exactly like them. Remember, he'd been an Egyptian for a long time. He had been living in that palace for a long time. He rescued us from the shepherds, and he even drew water for us and watered the flock. Well, where is he? They asked. Ruel asked his daughters, why did you leave him? Why did you leave him? Invite him to have something to eat. Notice that Ruel, and this is, I don't think this is entirely Ruel trying to protect, or Jethro trying to protect his daughters as much, um, as if you pay attention, if, the, if he had any male children, those male children would have been the ones responsible for going and taking care of the flock. But we have no record that he had a male child. We have no record that that happened. So Ruel is like, hold on, we got somebody that's going to take care of our flock? What are you guys doing? Come on, go get him, bring him back. Not to mention, he saved you from these shepherds that were running you off and not letting us take care of our flock. Because that was wealth in those times. That's how they survived, was on those things. So it's a very big deal that Moses stepped out of his comfort zone and then immediately began caring for somebody else. So Ruel, Jethro, is like, yo, bring this dude back. He's awesome. Invite him to get something to eat. You guys are not good hosts. That's what he says. Then Moses agreed to stay with the man who gave his daughter Zipporah to Moses in marriage. And Zipporah gave birth to a son, and Moses named him Gershom, saying, I have become a foreigner in a foreign land. Now, that's one of those times in the Bible where they only use two verses to cover like 15 years, okay? That's one of those times where they just, it's like people go, well, that's crazy. But it's just a real quick, the author is sitting down and going, this probably isn't that important. They just need to know it happened, right? They didn't, don't read it like it's a novel. It's a, it's a historical record also. So that's a big, big shift and a big amount of time that has been covered. Notice Moses gets an entire family out of this moment. Moses goes from being the murderer in Egypt to being the hero in Midian, and in that time, he gets an entire family out of this. Now, notice there's still nothing from God yet. He's gotten himself into a problem, and it seems like he's got himself somewhat out of a problem. Now, I don't know about you, but many of us end up in our situations because of nothing that we've done. Sometimes it has nothing to do with what we've done. Sometimes it has everything to do with the environment and the circumstances we're in, and I completely understand that. But if we're honest, sometimes some of the situations we're in are because we got ourselves into them. But Moses, here he is, he's working himself out of this. Now he's staying with Jethro, he's got a family now, you know, fast forward a couple years, he's, he's ready to go, he's sitting there, okay, God, I'm waiting. Still no word from God, still nothing. And he married a preacher's kid, that's what he did. He married the priest's daughter. Nothing. Radio silence. And then comes one of the most important verses in the Bible. One of the most significant verses in the Bible. Although you won't see it on a coffee mug. You won't see it on a t-shirt. In fact, you've probably never heard a message taught about it. 
because it seems so mundane, it seems so simple, it seems just another sentence in the text, but it's important. It says, now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Now, again, we see that and we go, I've never, nobody's ever said that to me in a prayer meeting, right? Like they, everybody's got their prayer verses when somebody's like, I'm going through something. Nobody says, now Moses was tending to the flock of Jethro, and then he went up on the mountain of Horeb. Nobody says that. There's not on a coffee mug. It's not on a t-shirt. You probably don't have it highlighted in your Bible, although I'm going to make a case that after today you should, because here is what's important. Moses is in a waiting chapter of his life right now. The pages have turned and it's stopped. He's in a waiting chapter. No more instruction from God, no more clarity from God. He's probably been banging on the door. God, what am I supposed to do? And it's silent. He's in a waiting chapter of his life. But look at what he does. He takes care of his family and cares for the flock. He does exactly what he knows to do. So for those of us, and if you raise your hand, you've ever, been, you've ever waited on God before, or maybe you're waiting on God right now, and the big question is, is, Brandon, how do I get through the waiting chapter? I mean, come on. How do I get through the chapter where God is silent and I need him to speak? How do we get through that chapter? And I think the key is this. We do what Moses did. When you're waiting on God, do what you know to do. Just do what you know to do. Moses didn't try to do anything special. Notice he didn't start a whole new career, do anything else. He just simply said, well, I'm waiting on my heavenly father to say something, so what am I going to do? I'm just going to do what I know to do. I'm a shepherd, so I'm going to do that. I'm a father, so I'm going to do that. I'm a husband, so I'm going to do that. So I'm just going to do what I know is right. I'm going to do what I know I should do right now, and that's where I'm going to sit. So when you're, when you're waiting on God, do what you know to do. Do what you know to do in your work situation. Don't get sour and say, I should have got the promotion, so I'm just going to treat them however. I'm just going to behave however. I'm going to throw shade at the guy who got the promotion. No, no, no. Do what you know to do. And you go, Brandon, that's not super inspiring. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's just one of those things where consistent right things aligns you to God's will for you. There's just times when you have to consistently do the right thing, do what you know to do, and then eventually that moves you down the track. There's times when you're sitting back and you just have to do what you know to do in your marriage. When things are hard and things are difficult and you don't know what the next step is and you're not sure what's going on, you've heard me say this time and time again, love is a choice. So do what you know to do in that relationship. Do what you know to do when it comes to your relationship with God. If you say, look, I just don't feel connected to God. I just ain't feeling anything. I don't know. Okay, well, well what do you know to do? Well, I know I need to pray but I don't feel like praying. Well, then do what you know to do until you know what to do next. 
pay attention, he's in the waiting chapter of his life. And you need to know this too. In the waiting chapter of our life, God is still working. What Moses didn't realize is that being a shepherd was the perfect, the absolute perfect thing for Moses to be the leader. It was the perfect thing. The whole time, he's shepherding and moving animals that are as smart as this daggone pole right here. And he's getting them to move from point A to point B. And he's doing this time and time again. He's in the area that he's about to take the, the Hebrews through. And he knows the lay of the land. He's making all the connections he needs to make. He knows what's going on. And is this whole time, because we believe he sat as a shepherd for about 40 years after he killed the Egyptian. So in that time frame, Moses is learning He's learning to be a husband. He's learning to be a father. He's learning to lead a family. He's learning to lead in general and hear the voice of God throughout the entire, entire process. And as he's hearing it and he's learning and he's trying to figure it out, God has him in a waiting, a holding pattern. But just because God isn't saying anything doesn't mean he's not doing anything. He's preparing Moses for the next step of Moses' life. Because listen to me, this is important. A waiting chapter is not a wasted chapter. A waiting chapter in your life is not a wasted chapter in your life. God is working in the background and you may not know and probably do not know what it is. And many of us sit back and we want to disconnect and we prefer to just play on our phones and ignore, you know, what's going on around us. And it's better to be the victim, right, to say God's not paying any attention to me. And sometimes it feels like he's really not. And we sit back and we go, come on, God, why aren't you paying any attention to me? But the truth is that this waiting chapter you're in, it's not wasted. And if you engage with it, you lean into it. Don't resist it. One of the biggest things I see that people make a mistake is when they, they if, you're, if you struggle from certain diseases or certain conditions, you feel like you have to move all the time, right? There's got to be progress. We've got to go. We've got to go. We've got to go. And sometimes God says, I need you to slow down. I need you to slow down because I'm trying to teach you something. Or maybe even worse, and we hate this one, I'm trying to teach some people around you through you. And you go, well, I don't want any of that. I would prefer God to just you know, deal with me. Well, then I'm sorry, maybe, maybe following Jesus isn't for you. Because if you're a follower of Christ, sometimes that's you raising your hand saying, God, use me for the kingdom as you will. And that means that there's going to be times when maybe you get put into a holding pattern. You get put into a waiting season so that everybody else around you and people go, this isn't fair. Trust me, you don't want fair. But in this waiting season, in this waiting pattern, people around you are looking and going, wow, Look at that. And, and believe it or not, you know people like this, don't you? Where they just have faith beyond faith. And God has put them in a waiting season and a waiting chapter of their life. And you look and go, wow, I can't believe they're still following God after that long. I can't believe they're still doing that after that long. I mean, God has been so silent for so long. He said no for so long. He's done this for so long. And you sit back and you go, I'm just so blown away by their faith. Now, may I just offer for just a second that maybe, just maybe, and I don't want to push too much, 
But maybe, just maybe, God's doing that through you right now. And you don't even realize it. When we force movement, we're the murderer in Egypt. That's what happens. If it's not God-ordained, even though it may be with good intention, it's going to hurt somebody. Maybe you. But when we slow down and we recognize the season we're in, we recognize that we're not ready yet, and we recognize that God is doing something, the waiting is not wasted. It builds us. So, do what you know to do. Do what you know to do. Do to know what you do as a husband, as a wife, with your, as a mom, as a dad. You sit back and go, do, do what you know to do. Keep going to church. Keep going to your small group. Keep showing up for the football games for your kids. Keep showing up for those things. And you go, Brandon, I just don't know how I could keep going. You can keep going because God is with you. Yeah, but I'm waiting on an answer. Sometimes the answer doesn't come when you want it. Keep going. Keep being a husband. Keep being a father. Keep giving. Keep serving. Keep living generously. Keep leading the right way. Keep reading your Bible. Stay on track. Keep showing up at the job, working hard. Yeah, but they don't appreciate me. I understand, and maybe you do need to look for another job, but maybe, just maybe, it's not that time yet. Sometimes we're stuck waiting. But when you're stuck waiting, do what you know to do until you know what to do next. And you go, Brandon, how am I going to know what to do next? There was an angel, angel of the Lord that appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush, and Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. Sometimes God shows up in a way that you just aren't ready for. Sometimes it's a long season of waiting. Sometimes it's a long season of faithfulness. Sometimes it's a long season of doing the right thing over and over and over again and feeling no return and hearing nothing and hearing nothing time and time again. You get in your prayer closet and you're like, God, where are you? And he's like, I'm right here, but not yet, but not yet, but not yet. And then finally, when he shows up, and you'll know when he shows up because it's like that flaming bush. It's obvious. You'll feel it. You'll feel the release and you'll be able to have momentum again. Moses knew what to do next. Sometimes in the waiting season, in the waiting chapter of your life, you're just sitting back and you're learning to hear the voice of God. Because maybe God's not ready for you to move on to the next chapter until you can hear his voice the right way. Maybe you're not ready for that next chapter in that relationship because God wants you to be a godly man first before he wants you to be a godly husband. Or maybe vice versa as a wife. Maybe he's not ready to move you into that next chapter yet because he's trying to develop you as the leader, the godly leader that he wants you to be. And you're like, I'm ready to jump into this next thing. And he goes, hold on there. We ain't ready for that yet. I'm going to build you in the wilderness as a shepherd first, and then we'll take you to the next. I can think of no better story of this than my own. When I got out of the Marine Corps and I went into New Life, they brought me on and they said, you're going to plant a church. 
Now, I had no Bible at all, uh, understanding at all. I knew Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Revelation, because that one's scary. And the Exodus. I didn't know Moses had three other, or two other books. So I, I, didn't, I didn't really know anything about it, but they're like, you're going to come on, we're going to train you, and you're going to plant a church. But I was on fire for God, and I was on fire for Jesus. I was like, yeah, I am ready. Let's go. They had the building picked out on 301 right there, right by Dahlgren, because I was living in Colonial Beach. Don't ask me why. I was living in Colonial Beach. We make a lot of money in the Marine Corps. And um, I was living out that way, and they were like, hey, you're going to plant our King George campus. And I'm like, let's go. I am so flipping ready. And then as soon as I got in, they were like, okay, but you're not ready yet. We've got to take some time. We've got to build you. You've got to understand. You've got to know that there's 66 books of the Bible, not just like five. You have to know that you know the difference between the Old and the New Testament. You have to know the difference between theologies. You have to know the difference between Arminianism and Calvinism. You have to know all these different things. And I'm like, look, I love Jesus. Put me out there on the front line. I'm going to get it done. And I'm thank God they didn't because it would have been a mess. It would have been real bad. But I was so sold out. In that moment, if they would have put me out there, I would have been Moses in Egypt. I would have hurt people. My intentions would have been amazing. They, they, I would have just, I'm not, I'm trying to tell people and get people Jesus and closer to God. But what would have happened is I would have hurt myself. I would have hurt my family. I would have hurt other people because the time wasn't, hadn't come yet. We weren't ready yet. It wasn't quite there. So God had me in a waiting chapter. And in that waiting chapter, he taught me so much. In that waiting chapter, he surrounded me with people who were teaching me things. And I was like, okay, I'm good. And in that time, I'm working on my degree so I can learn that there's more than five books of the Bible. And then I got a phone call one day, or I got pulled into a meeting, and Pastor Robert and Mike, they looked and they said, hey, I think we're ready to plant a church. I don't think we're going to do King George just yet, but I was already living here in Fredericksburg. And they're like, hey, you can go to Fredericksburg. And I'm like, I'm already there. And they're like, well, you can plant a church there. All right, cool. So that's what we're going to do. So I started looking around, and then I found the uh, property on on, uh, Mosby Street that was for sale, and it was a church. And I said, I can do church in that church. So I called the guy, and I said, hey, uh, I want to do church in your church while you're not having church. And... And he's like, uh, okay, cool, uh, but I don't really want to, you know, instead of planting a church, why don't you come on under me and learn under me? And that guy was Pastor Brad, and he led, been in ministry at that time for 41 years, and he had a plethora of experience. And he said, look, I'm trying to, re- I'm, I'm trying to retire, so why don't you come in and you take over after some time there? And I said, okay, cool. But again, I was ready to go, and God said, stop. You're not. Not yet. You're, you're, not, you're not ready yet. And so I went from one waiting chapter to another. How many of you hate that? Where I get put, and I'm like, God, I know that I'm supposed to do this. I know I'm supposed to do this. I can't even breathe. I know I'm supposed to do this so much. And he's like, not yet. We're not ready yet. And then I spent the next two years studying under Pastor Brad, where I learned a whole other side of the ministry. And I got to one-on-one discipleship and mentorship and figured a lot of things out, the do's and don'ts. Because little did I know, I wasn't ready yet. I wanted it now. And some of us feel that way. 
God, I want the answer now. God, give it to me now. God, I'm qualified now. And he sits back seeing from his throne in heaven and he sees it all and he goes, no, 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 honey, you're not ready for it yet. You will be if you let me work with you. But if you stay in the spot you are and you become the victim and you're not going to let me work in your life and you're not going to let these things happen and you're going to force movement, then you're not going to be ready. But if you'll let me teach you in the waiting chapter of your life, you'll be ready for when the call comes. And when Pastor Brad retired and the call came, I was ready. And then COVID happened, and nobody was ready. But I would never have been able to make it through the COVID thing as a church leader had I not had all those years of experience before. I wouldn't have known what to do. I wouldn't have known how to care for people during a time like that. I wouldn't have known how to start the church back up after we had to close the doors for a month or two. I wouldn't have known how to build a building had I not had the relationship. Still don't know what I'm doing there, but it's here. So I, I wouldn't have known how to get the walls up and figured out the basics of ministry had I not pushed and learned from the people in the chapter that God had had me in. And listen to me. He's doing the same with you. This is not a pastor-preacher exclusive thing. He's doing the exact same with you. If you are in a waiting chapter of your life, put the brakes on, engage with it, and say, Lord, what are you trying to teach me here? Sure, we can blame. Sure, we can point fingers. Sure, we can do all sorts of different things. But if you're in a waiting chapter of your life, put the brakes on and say, God, why do you have me here? And what are you trying to teach me? Why do you have me here? What are you trying to teach me? And in the meantime, because that's really important, how do you take care of yourself and your family and things in the meantime when you're in this waiting season? Do what you know to do until you know what to do next. When you don't know what to do, do what you know to do until you know what to do next. And when, it's, when the time comes, you will be ready. Because when God shows up in the burning bush in your life, you're not going to be the murderer from Egypt. You're going to be the shepherd from Midian. You're going to be ready. You're going to be capable because he's been training you every single day. Because he cares about you. He loves you. Just because it's a waiting season doesn't mean it's wasted and it most certainly does not mean that he is not doing anything. Just because he's silent <clears throat> does not mean he's inactive. He's moving. Sometimes we can't see it, and sometimes it's an act of trust. And it's important that we remember and we trust him that he knows what to do and that he's moving in the background. But that's hard and that's scary. And I understand that. But the truth is, that's what it means to follow him. We take a step back and we're saying, Lord, I'm not going to hold on to my life so daggone hard that I'm white knuckling the steering wheel. Lord, I'm going to give it to you. And when you tell me to slow down, I'm going to slow down. And when you tell me to speed up, I'm going to speed up. And when you tell me to get ready, Lord, I am ready.
So, next week, we're going to pick it up right there. But when you don't know what to do, do what you know to do till you know what to do next. So, I would love to pray for you. Father, anytime we talk about waiting on you, Lord, it's always hard, it's always charged with emotion, it, it always feels like that there's not enough adequate words to describe it. It feels like that maybe we just aren't, like we're just not prepared, we're just not able to understand. And I'm sure like Moses, Lord, he, he, he didn't know what you were going to do. He didn't know that you were going to call him to be the leader to take and free an entire nation, Lord. And in the same way, we don't know what you're going to do in our lives right now. We have no idea. But what we do know, Lord, is that you've called each of us to a purpose in our life. And if you put us in a waiting chapter of our life, it's not going to be wasted. That we are going to engage with it, Lord. So, Father, I pray that in the meantime, as we're waiting, as we're the shepherds in the wilderness, Lord, that we would do what's right, consistent obedience time and time and time again until we know what to do next, until the burning bush happens, until the moment becomes obvious, we're ready for our next calling. So Heavenly Father, we love you, we praise you, We ask that you would guide us and direct us in this season. And we give you all of the praise. And the church said, Amen. Amen.